You're listening to a Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, November 27th, the day before Thanksgiving, and Dan Savage, Rich Smith, and me sit down to talk about the latest on impeachment, the latest tweets from a bare-chested Donald Trump, sorry for that image, and some powerful arguments you can deploy during the politics section of your family Thanksgiving. After that, Rudy Giuliani. What is wrong with America's mayor? And why is he such a bad texter? We are going to get to the bottom of that. And finally, Natalie Graham is here to help you with Rich with a few books that you can rely on to say, hey, guys, I got to I gotta go read a book. I'm, I'm, I'm really full. This was a great meal. I got something I got to read. But first, Dan Savage, Rich, and me on the impeachment latest. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Eli. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Eli. It's my dream Thanksgiving table. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying whether it's a good dream or a nightmare, but here we are. In other nightmares, (laughs) the impeachment proceedings have now given way to more impeachment proceedings. We are at the end of the Adam Schiff show in the Intelligence Committee. And we are... It really bothers me when you start regurgitating right-wing rhetoric. (laughs) That's what they're calling it, the Schiff show, because, you know... I apologize. It's just been repeated so much that it, it made its way into my brain. Much like, sorry for the digression, but the image of Donald Trump, the boxer fighter that has now been flashed all over Twitter today, and I can't get it's perfectly out of my normal mind. for a president of the United States to be tweeting out homoerotic fanfic <laughs> of, of himself. himself. And it settles the question, who has nicer tits, Donald or Melania? Now we know the Donald, (laughs) nicer tits, at least in the fanfic. If you hadn't picked up on it over the last however many years, Donald Trump fancies himself as a fighter. And for some reason, he really needs to buck himself up on that fact at the moment. So he's tweeting out this glamour shot of his head photoshopped onto a really hot boxer body. That loud fapping sound you hear is Devin Nunes locked in his bathroom. On that image uh let's turn to the polls which are also well they're interesting they're exciting and also disturbing disturbing in the sense that a lot has happened in the last week or seems to have happened but none of it appears to have registered in polling when i'm talking about a lot happening i'm talking about all of the testimony in adam schiff's committee the house intelligence committee which was the impeachment inquiry And we heard from official after official who alleged really serious wrongdoing, crimes, crimes, high crimes, misdemeanors, bribery, whatever, extortion, extortion, many, many terms that could be applied to what they described. It was broadcast a lot of it live on NPR, CNN, some of it on Fox News, maybe with misleading uh, Chirons, Chirons, whatever you call those things. And yet... No one's mind has changed, according to the polls. Nothing moved. There are a lot of Americans who still want Donald Trump impeached and removed from office. 50%, according to CNN, pro-impeachment and removal. 43% opposed. 48% pro, according to Politico. 43% opposed. In 98, and I'm reading from a 
Carrie Oliveld piece, in 98, 29% of Americans were pro-impeachment and 67% were opposed. And they still went through with it. They still impeached the goddamn president and had a trial. So I think we're in relatively safe territory here to proceed. Yeah, it would seem like that's true. But also, I keep hearing that the impeachment proceedings against Nixon were part of what started public opinion really moving. And it's just odd that we had this two week long televised, you know, drama that was but the, 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 Eli, there the was movement there was there were majorities were opposed to impeachment before these hearings started there are more hearings yet to come this moves to the judiciary committee from the intelligence committee where then they get to sort of rehash and go through all of this evidence call other witnesses if they wish to as they draw up the articles of impeachment. This stays in the news. Just because things are a little locked in right now doesn't mean they will forever be locked in. And Republicans are really good at just like hammering away at something until the American public moves on it. And Dems are like, oh, we have majority support, but oh, not <laughs> like overwhelming or super majority support. So we might as well curl up on the floor and fucking die. No, we just have to keep pressing. There are two new developments in the narrative just to toss in. Uh, since Adam Schiff gaveled to a close his part of the impeachment inquiry, we found out that Donald Trump knew about the whistleblower complaint before he made that call where he announced to uh, Gordon Sondland, his ambassador to the European Union, that there was no quid pro quo. In other words, Donald Trump knew that someone had alleged a quid pro quo on Ukraine, but he knew this privately when he said it really kind of blurted it out on a phone call. And then also we learned that two... Uh, so basically he knew he'd been caught doing his crime when he issued the denial that he had done his crime, which they pointed to as somehow exculpatory. Right. After he murdered his mom, he denied having murdered his mom. Ergo, he couldn't have murdered his mom is basically the Republican argument. And two members of the House uh, Office of Management and Budget resigned in protest over this withholding of aid to Ukraine. We've just found out about this now, but I think their resignations happened in the summer. So the Judiciary Committee is sure to put that into the chronology when they talk about what happened. Right. But to the extent that the hearings aren't moving um, people into the stratosphere of approval on, on impeachment, um, it seems to be a couple of things. Uh, the polls also show that four and 10 percent or about four and 10 percent are paying very close attention to the hearings. So as a former teacher, I can tell you. Americans don't do the homework. <laughs> Those who are doing the homework, though, are more in favor of impeachment than not. The hearings also seem to be slightly educating people. People seem to know more now that um, Trump did this to uh, for his own personal gain, and they're not buying the Republican argument about that. But to the extent that people aren't getting like super fired up about it, or it's not moving the needle by ten and twenty percent, it does it. It makes sense to me. Like, I, I don't, I think that a majority of the Americans probably, when they hear, the, though the narrative is pretty, you know, airtight, pretty understandable, I think that a majority, like Clint in Kentucky, wasn't like, Trump withheld military aid to Ukraine, <laughs> our ally in World War II who fought with us, like, you know, shoulder to shoulder against the Nazis. Like, I, I don't think that the emotional case is, is, has been made. Unlike or, those Kurds who didn't show up in Normandy. Right. <laughs> because Americans don't know where Ukraine is and don't care about any, any foreigners outside of America. Is that the idea? Or they just think, like Dan was arguing last week, that, yeah, this sounds exactly like Donald Trump. That's the other thing, too. I think 
that a majority of Americans think that the government is corrupt, and so when the government acts corruptly, it's just it confirms what they believe, and so no no big change. I mean, there was a pretty notable, um, and also I think that people aren't as moved as maybe members of the media or you and I are by the uh, valiant. Um, uh, bravery of the of the bureaucrats who decided to, to you know to, to, to testify. I don't mm-hmm. think that people really know what the State Department is, uh, and I think that they're largely ignorant about matters of foreign policy and diplomacy. But this- However. There has been a little bit of a move. Um, uh, women now, uh, the polls show, a majority of women, I think 60% of, of women think that Trump should be impeached. And I think that might have had something to do with the hearings. Um, Maria Yovanovitch's testimony mm-hmm. about being basically run around by these fucking goonish you know, men, I think, resonated with a lot of people. A lot of people saw that. Gaslit by a bunch of shitty guys on their third wives. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. A lot of women saw that and said, like, well, I've been hurt that way before. Uh, yeah, that, that fucking happened. Uh, and then also the, the strong testimony of Fiona Hill um, and, you know, just hearing how uh, brilliant and forthright and um, uh, and honorable, you know, she she, she was, I think. Uh, maybe, and how maybe did some clearly movement. she laid out that Republicans, by amplifying the idea that Ukraine and not Russia interfered in the last presidential election, which Trump loves because, well, no one knows exactly why. Because it exonerates he- Russia and Putin and Trump is doing Putin's bidding mm-hmm. at every turn. So Trump loves it. The Republicans love it. And Fiona Hill, the United States, really one of the top Russia experts for this country. Trump is a Russian asset. Said (laughs) that when, yeah, essentially we all become Russian assets when we repeat that because this is Russian propaganda. This is crafted Russian propaganda. And then we amplify it. And that's exactly what they want. The fact is, in case anyone at your Thanksgiving table is confused, U.S. intelligence agencies, all of them, have found and say and have said again that Russia interfered in the 2016 U.S. presidential election to help Donald Trump and to hurt Hillary Clinton. That's it. That's the established fact. And the rest is a conspiracy theory uh, peddled by Rudy Giuliani and many, many others, including the the problem. The the problem right now is um, that people don't think that it's an impeachable offense. And so that's the big challenge that the Democrats you know, that have to will, face in this Do, do you remember year. when Bill Clinton had a brief conversation with then Attorney General Loretta Lynch on an airplane tarmac? <laughs> How could I forget? And this was evidence of a conspiracy. This was, you know, Loretta Lynch had to basically recuse herself from breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the rest of her <laughs> uh, service as uh, Attorney General. And this was a huge scandal. Clint from Kentucky, who doesn't give a shit about Ukraine, when President Warren invites the French Secret Service or the French by agency to dig up dirt on the Republicans and give it to her so that she can continue to partner with Macron to do something about climate change and push back <laughs> against the forces of right-wing white nationalism all over the world. Clint from Kentucky, as instructed by Fox News, is suddenly going to give a shit yeah. about oh, yeah. quid pro quos, about collusion, about working with a foreign power to impact uh, an American election. This stuff that seems so arcane. It's not that it's so arcane. It's willful obtuseness. Yeah. It's taking orders from Fox News not to give a shit about this crime because your guy committed it. But- if our guy were to commit the same crime, not only would they all give a shit about it but enough of us would give a shit about it that our guy would be out i agree but you're seeing less movement though among independents so so yeah i mean and and 83 of people say that their mind is made up on impeachment so that's a majority of the country yeah from kentucky is 
no on impeachment, and he's been no on impeachment. The Democrats have been yes on impeachment. They've been yes on impeachment. The movement that we're trying to look at. No, is, the, Democrat, among the Democrats. Who the are reason we're only impeaching him now is because Democrats weren't yes on impeachment until basically he killed somebody in broad fucking daylight. Yeah. Democrats weren't yes on impeachment on January twenty second, two thousand and seventeen, which is when they should have been yes on impeachment uh, already. Uh, yeah, they. Yeah, I agree. And as soon as the Mueller report came, all out, these moderate it, Dems didn't flip on impeachment until after this Ukraine scandal broke, which is part and parcel with the Russia scandal. These are not two separate and discrete scandals. They are the same ongoing totally. shit show building on fire scandal that has been that has been going on around us since 2016, right. since I, before the election. I was just talking about just the time that um, during the hearings, to the, trying to measure the effectiveness of the hearings, because before, you know, the pitch was, we just need to do these hearings, and that'll educate the American people, and he'll fall like Nixon. And that's, and so the only people who are kind of moving within that realm seem to be independents. Although, to your point, the judiciary, the House judiciary, like the day one is – Bring in constitutional scholars to talk about what is a constitu- like yeah, what is Clint grounds from Kentucky for impeachment. Is going to really like, stay awake for that one. <laughs> also, Jerry Nadler from New York, who is he is obviously a very smart guy, has served a long time. But I feel like one of the reasons they tossed the inquiry to shift uh, to begin with to to start it off is that shift is just better in front of the cameras and runs a better hearing. And Jerry Nadler. He has a record so far of uh, running hearings that do not go well. His hearings were blown up by Corey Lewandowski and other Trump uh, apparatchiks. Also and- by allowing members to, you know, giving everybody five minutes each and having it be this fucking dog's breakfast of a shit show of a diced up hearing. <laughs> Hopefully he will adopt Schiff's uh, strategy, which was bringing in the lawyer to prosecute the case before giving everybody their five minutes to, to strut around. Trump, as we've noticed, does not like giving anyone else their five minutes. And he had to kind of insert himself into the hearings in front of Schiff's committee by tweeting at at least one of the witnesses, maybe more. He's now been formally invited by Jerry Nadler to show up at the Judiciary Committee hearings with a lawyer and given a Sunday deadline. He's kind of said he would maybe like to testify. He's not going to fucking testify. That's what I wanted, your predictions. Answer questions for Mueller. This is just bullshit to get us talking about something other than his crimes that he killed his mother on the wall. All right. No way Trump is going to show up, Dan says. No, but the Democrats should make this an issue and they should be shouting about how Trump and everybody who was in the loop is not showing up to testify just like a bunch of scary cat criminals. That's how you know it's evidence of a cover-up, etc. because the polls say that they do want Trump to... um, This is all secondhand. This is all hearsay. We're not hearing from anybody who's actually in the room or on the call because none of them, all those subpoenaed, are showing up. And these same Republicans, those those who have been there long enough to have been there at the Clinton impeachment, argued then that ignoring White House subpoenas or ignoring congressional subpoenas was itself an impeachable offense. It's it's one of the articles cited in Nixon's impeachment was ignoring congressional subpoenas. But now – they're optional. Now it's an invitation to brunch that you can accept or decline. <laughs> yeah, because the president is a king. He has immunity. All who talk to him doesn't, don't have to comply with a congressional. And nothing matters and we're they? doomed. Can we talk about Thanksgiving for a second? Oh sure. God. Well, I was just going to say, turkey. I feel like we have given people a lot of good potential <laughs> ammunition for their Thanksgiving dinners, especially if they're going to eat with Clint from Kentucky. If there was Anything we left off that people need in their quiver, I just wanted to give you a moment. Like, the best argument for the Thanksgiving dinner table? Trump bribed Ukraine. 
and bribery is a high crime and misdemeanor in the Constitution. You want to look it up. It's right on my phone. The word's right there. Bribery is <laughs> <Bribery's laughs> right there. You can see it. Moreover, <laughs> I would say bring one of those pocket copies of yes. the Constitution that's just a little more classic. <laughs> right. Moreover, he should at least, if you don't buy that, which you should, then Trump at least needs to comply with the impeachment inquiry. He should go on the stand and he, you know, he should testify because, you know, if this is due process, then he, he's got a chance to say his piece. And if they, and if he doesn't say it, then that's evidence of a cup up. One of the things that happens at Thanksgiving all the time is one of your relatives, like making a really strong argument, they think, and embarrassingly mispronouncing a name or a word. Well, in I do a w- that all the time. Well, <laughs> yes. And on that point, next, risible, going- risable, vulnerable, vulnerable. Yep. Mueller. Yes. Mueller, Mueller. There is another word to add to the list, and we're going to talk about that Hey, next. I didn't get to make my point about Thanksgiving. Don't go. Don't fucking go. <laughs> Skip it. Go hang out with people who you basically agree with about politics. You can talk about something fucking else. We're not like our prep for Thanksgiving is making food, not arming ourselves with fucking arguments. Also, can we have a moratorium on these stories every like last week of November about all these people showing up at the airport who are surprised that there's weather at the in the last week of November that makes it harder to travel? Oh my God, there's a snowstorm. Yeah, it's the fucking last week of November. Stay the fuck home. <laughs> I second all of those things. Okay. Before this uh, table can adjourn, we have to hear from a listener who is pissed about our pronunciation while we were making some arguments last week. We're going to hear from that listener next. Hey, guys. Uh, Love the show, but I have one small request. If you're going to keep talking about Pete Buttigieg through the primary season and possibly through the election or even his presidency, please pronounce it correctly. It's Buttigieg. Eli, please stop saying Buttigieg. It makes you sound like a college sophomore who's just returned from a European semester abroad. And Dan, you've got quite a history with willful mispronunciations. I still shudder when I think of the tiny Earl debacle, but this is a slightly different thing. I know Pete sold Boot Edge Edge merch, but that was intended as a cute phonetic guide for people who've never heard his name before. That's not a literal pronunciation. So please, I implore all of you to say it in the correct way because it's driving me absolutely insane. So you guys, it's Buttigieg. Buttigieg, for the love of God, please, Buttigieg. I couldn't tell the difference between his correct pronunciation and every other pronunciation he gave. It sounds goddamn the same. Soft to me. J versus a hard J sound, I guess. J versus J. And the yeah, URL but... debacle is that for a long time I would see URL and I would pronounce it Earl. I mean, Mayor Pate. URL Earl. <laughs> Mayor Pate. How is that a, do- a debacle? It's just phonetic. And the tiny Earl was in line with your fascination with European history. <laughs> little bitty dukes. <laughs> um, how do you say, by the way, duchy or is it dookie or duchy? It's duchy, I believe. D u c h y. Yeah, yeah. People do it. Maybe the caller will call back and let us know. I also don't hear a difference really, but you know, I I am now accused of trying to sound all fancy and European with my Buttigieg Barcelona. Where I'm at Buttigieg. Well, you don't say treasure, do you? No. Right. You say treasure. And so that's the distinction that he's making. He's saying, say, Buttigieg instead of Buttigieg. Ah. Oh, for you fuck's know, sake. A little yeah. less zhuzh in the zhuzh. It's such a soft, like, annoyance. Like, <laughs> Let's just all call him Mayor Pete, which is what he would like to be called, because he imagines his presidency as kind of a Frank Capra-esque movie. Will he then become President Mayor Pete? 
I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. I will work on my pronunciation over Thanksgiving. Dan will uh, consider his next step. We can just shorten it to President Pete Judge. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about someone who's easy to pronounce Rudy. Rudy Giuliani. We were kind of talking about him in the last segment, but he sort of needs his own moment because Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, speaking of mayors, with you know this supposed legacy of great leadership uh, during 9-11 when New York was attacked. And I think, you know, some of that deservedly when, so. When Giuliani left off attacking art museums in New York to defend New York from attack, he was a terrible mayor who warred against free speech, warred against the Brooklyn Art Museum, warred against MoMA. He was a fucking demagogue, culture warrior, asshole who was unfit to be the mayor of New York. But apparently a great lawyer, according to Donald Trump. So Rudy Giuliani also, before he was mayor, led the federal prosecutor's office in New York, supposedly was fighting corruption and the mafia and more. But now as Donald Trump's personal lawyer is accused of really deep involvement and orchestration in the whole Ukraine debacle. And Donald Trump yesterday, I think, said to Bill O'Reilly that Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, was not actually acting at his direction in this whole Ukraine scandal when, you know, (laughs) everyone else says – including Trump, says that Giuliani was previously. But anyway, We're five minutes from I've never met the guy, I barely know him, which is the last stage before the knife plunges into your back Mm -hmm. on your way out of the Trump administration or Trump's inner circle. I just want some help figuring out what to make of Giuliani. It's it's a kind of relative of the question I was asking last week about Trump, like a a really – smart and devious uh, kind of Bond villain type character or just your crazy 90-year-old uncle who's been given an iPhone and is uh, making a total mess of things, which is one of the takes on Giuliani that was in New York Magazine this week where this reporter talked about all the crazy texting that she does with Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani is also texting basically every other reporter in D.C. And butt-dialing them. And butt-dialing and going on cable and Which every time that comes up, it forces us to contemplate Rudy Giuliani's butt, (laughs) which is not something I'd like to do. Um, But so Giuliani will send you long, rambling texts in the middle of the night. He'll send you weird emojis that don't make sense. He'll like his own messages from days before, which is the most insane thing. (laughs) That's like worse than like uh, looking yourself up on Twitter or whatever, doing a vanity search. It's like going back, this, scrolling up. This is one of the consequences of gerontocracy. Yeah. <laughs> really, is it's, these, uh, these unhinged, slightly demented people who aren't very adept at technology kind of rattling around in their own brains, poisoned by Fox News, spewing conspiracy theories and garbage. We should borrow a page from – the well-run, not a problem in the entire organization, Catholic Church. A bishop <laughs> reaches age 75 and they are forcibly retired. The only person who gets to rattle on until they drop is the freaking Pope. <laughs> Everybody else, your bishop, archbishop, prince of the church, 75, goodbye, out to pasture. We should have that same role. Like There has to be an upper limit. There's a lower limit, 35. You can't be president until you're 35. They didn't set an upper limit when they wrote the Constitution because everybody was fucking dead by the time they were goddamn 50, usually. 
Why not make it retirement age? A little bit lower, 65. And why don't any of these people just ever go the fuck away? Yeah. Like, Newt Gingrich has tons of money. Giuliani has tons of money. If I had their money, like, I wouldn't want to be running in and out of Fox News green rooms having to look at Sean Hannity's ugly fucking butt face. Like, I'd want to be on a goddamn beach surrounded by rent boys. Why don't any of these people cash in and go the fuck away ever? Because they have committed crimes and they, <laughs> and they have to get out there and create as much garbage shit to distract people from the crimes that they've committed. That's clearly what Giuliani's doing. He's in so fucking deep that he needs to go on, um, yeah, Fox News and create a bunch of distractions. And go back and like his text messages from weeks ago to try to tell a reporter to, I guess, quote the this one or who knows what logic also like power right like they, they, this guy has never had this much power his entire life and it ran away and it corrupted him absolutely and people just don't want to let power go when they have it i don't get it i want to be nonpartisan about this go away program i want bloomberg to go away i want stoyer to go away is it stoyer who's the connor running oh steyer steyer i want that dumb fucking billionaire to go the fuck away i kind of want pelosi and her like gerontocracy leadership in the house mm-hmm. to go away not yet not yet look soon at, look at eli's not like time for a new generation of leadership time for some i don't know spry and perky people in their early 60s not until she plays her role in the conspiracy theory to elect <laughs> hillary clinton president <laughs> that i have been talking about for several years and After i that, will trade you bernie if we can lower the age for um uh, presidents to enter, so that aoc, so that can, AOC run. can run yes <laughs> The final thing that we have to point out to Rudy Giuliani and anyone else who is maybe not taking full advantage of their uh, texting privacy features, this guy, as you said, is being now targeted by federal prosecutors and accused of crimes. His associates have been arrested and charged with crimes, and he is still sending text messages to every reporter in D.C., literally all hours of the day, with his uh read notifications on so you know if you've sent giuliani a text and he's actually read it he doesn't even have that little little uh shred of deniability like oh i never got your message that any person who's in high school has figured out how to uh give themselves also some of giuliani's associates and this hasn't fully come out yet we have we don't know exactly what's in there but some of his associates who are currently in jail because they were attempting to flee the country have turned over to the house video audio recordings of meetings we don't know meetings with who we don't know Nunes was there we don't know giuliani was there we don't know trump was there but the house is sitting on a cash of maybe I'm mispronouncing that. We'll hear from callers <laughs> on a cache of videos and uh, audio tapes that could implicate God knows who. Uh, continuing our tour through the gerontocracy and just preparing everyone to sit down, probably with the gerontocracy at Thanksgiving, let's talk about John Bolton, who you both alluded to this, I think, in the last segment. There was a federal judge who this week said that. Uh, Don McGahn, the former White House lawyer who Trump has just kind of unilaterally in his kingly way barred from testifying. White House counsel who actually works for the White House and the American people is not the president's personal lawyer. Right. And he does have to testify according to this federal judge. And it gets really complicated, but you can extend the judge's logic to John Bolton, who for no clear reason is saying he's not going to testify, even though he's tweeting about how the U.S. is under attack from within. That was this week and 
has said to House investigators through his lawyer that he has important evidence to share about what went down in the Ukraine affair. Yeah, the they cite a memo, I think, from the George W. Bush era that said that um, uh, the president's close circle is exempt from uh, congressional subpoenas. And then absolute Bush, testimonial immunity. That's right. The president's yes. circle of jerks. Right. And then Obama used it, I think, during the Fast and Furious um, uh, scandal. And so uh, now Trump is is using it um, to you know, as as his defense. Yeah. So the, this federal judge again uh, said this is a bullshit defense that the Office of Legal Counsel memo that you just talked about. Yeah, it's existed for a long time, but that doesn't mean it was right. It's and, every, and, and multiple lower courts have already ruled that it was a bullshit defense and that he has to testify. But now it's going to go to the Supreme Court, right. which Trump has stacked courtesy of Mitch McConnell. And so who the fuck knows what's going to happen? But Bolton, just as as we're uh, kind of conjecturing about what various people are going to do in the coming weeks, it, does this guy have any intention of testifying or is he just stringing us along? What What is he doing? I don't – again, I don't understand. It seems like book promotion. I, yeah, I don't book know deal. why you go on – yeah, I don't know why you go on Twitter and say like um, we're being attacked from within and our enemies know it and but we don't or why you say I would testify and I've got shit to say. Um, but I can't go because my the president who I would testify against <laughs> tells me I can't, and so I've got to listen to Daddy. Like, yeah, it's 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 book deal. All right, well that settles that. He's uh, anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> he already has that deal. I feel like he her. would bring a kind of different tone than anonymous. Yes. Bolton is a lot more like angry and slightly unhinged. The book would be on more... fire and in the shape of Iran. Yeah, yes. would... <laughs> I know it's unfair to pick on men in public life about their appearance, but. That mustache, that walrus mustache is a torment. I don't know if I, I would have to listen to the hearings and not watch the hearings if Bolton was testifying. If he didn't have it, he would look like even more like a walrus, though. I thought Trump liked the mustache. I felt like that's how he got his job to begin with. It's a longstanding symbol of, a symbol of military you know, readiness. <laughs> he liked it because it tickled. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, with that image, And we've got them all in the bathroom. Mike Pence, <laughs> Bolton, and Devin Nunes all fapping in the studio bathroom in my mind. Dan, thank you, and good luck with your Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, thank you. It's going to be chill and mellow. Good. We travel all the way across the street. That's as far as we go for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Rich, next we're going to talk about something that is a legit reason to disappear from your family and maybe even your family dinner table. It's a really good book that you have to read and should be reading. Rich, have you noticed that the holiday season is here? Yeah. Music in the stores. Different shaped Reese's cups. <laughs> that's the first, that's how you know. That's the first harbinger of, the, of a Christmas is, season. Is that, that is the, very observant of you. I, I had not taken that. As, but after you eat maybe 10 or 12 Santa Reese's Pieces cups, you know what happens in my mouth. It's a war zone. It's a chocolate and peanut butter nightmare and i wish that there was something equally christmasy and powerful to ex exterminate the, the the cups may i recommend a holiday self-care gift for you <gasps> you're and, like a toothbrush santa yeah and for anyone else in your family who needs to brush their teeth it's the quip We've mentioned it a few times, but it is an amazing electronic toothbrush that can start next year's good habit. It will put a smile on everyone's mouth because it's dental care that they'll actually 
want to use every day. That's why Quip is the perfect, thoughtful, and practical gift with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and toothpaste, all intentionally designed to make good habits simple. The Quip electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. And the Quip floss dispenser has pre-marked strings so you always use the right amount. It's been a problem for you, Rich. Yeah, I am an idiot. I've been brushing and flossing for 34 years on as of Thanksgiving. It's my birthday. You're welcome, Blabbermouth. And so I'm, uh, uh, I'm just so glad that Quip has innovated in the flossing uh, game in this way to teach me a lesson. Yeah. And to use the right length of floss, the yeah. right pre-marked length. Plus, Quip delivers brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months. Join over three million happy customers and check everyone off your gift list right now with Quip. Just go to getquip.com slash blabbermouth to save on gift sets and to get your first refill free with a refill plan. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash blabbermouth. Getquip.com slash blabbermouth. So, Rich, you have a book that everyone should have in hand right now anyway, but maybe uh, could be extra valuable this Thanksgiving week. That's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, it's uh, Ben Lerner's uh, The Topeka School, and um, I really liked it. It was on the New York Times' top 10 books of 2019, um, and I'm a big fan of Ben Lerner's generally. Uh, I knew him uh, or knew of his work when he uh, was writing a lot of uh, poetry. He's got a, a great book called Angle of Yaw, but he's uh, in the last you know decade, he's been working on a trilogy of autofiction uh, and this is the kind of final piece of that um, of that trilogy, uh, which follows a, a character who's very closely related to himself, uh, Adam Gordon, and uh, he's uh, it, it, it covers the beginning of Adam Gordon's life, uh, raised uh, in Topeka by uh, two clinical psychologists, one of whom his mother is very has become famous writing these uh, feminist books of. Um, uh, uh, exploring family dynamics. You called it autofiction, and you just uh, explained to me off the air what autofiction is. Do the Cliff Notes version for anyone like me who's like, what? Autofiction? It stands for autobiographical fiction. Um, so it's just, you know, that all of the, um, or many of the uh, events in the book uh, are based on his his life, but he's admitting up front that he's making it up. The conversation in academic circles for a while has been um, you know, we're all unreliable narrators. And so if you're publishing memoirs, even if you say I'm an unreliable narrator, which, you know, um, it, it's just, you're still lying to people, you know, basically because of the way that we access our memories, the way that we construct memories when we access them. And then especially whenever we're asked to present them in a public way, you know, like, you know, there, there, there's some speculation about how true any memoir is. So this is kind of the the response to, to to that, the fictional response to to that conversation. And of course, in fiction, there's the long tradition of Romana Clay's, which is you know a novelist's first book is often just uh, you know 
a, a, a story that happened to them in real life uh, mm-hmm. with different names changed. So this kind of combines those two pursuits. But makes it more obvious that the narrator is unreliable. Right, right. And he's kind of pushing that a little bit uh, further, I think, in this book um, by the way that he's choosing to tell the story. So uh, it's multiple perspectives. He takes on um, Adam Gordon's mind. That's the, the, the stand-in for himself, basically. Also, he writes from his mother's perspective to him and he writes from his father's perspective to him and also from the perspective sort of arguably of this guy named darren who is um who went to his high school and who's like a proto maga hat wearing guy who threw a pool cue at the head of this woman uh at a party uh though that is not the total expression of his being so you have said and written that one of the interesting things that this book explores, I assume, through the MAGA dude, mm-hmm. uh, is the rise of the man baby, which is something that Blabbermouth tends to be interested in. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know, it's through the male characters in the book. Uh, Lerner kind of explores the phenomenon of, of toxic masculinity, uh, the way that. Um, the culture patrols and enforces certain expectations that that of of men, and then the way that men respond to that, and uh, how dangerous that can be um, in adulthood <laughs> when 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 men hold on um, to those sort of uh, ridiculous expectations. So there's a number of moments in the book, uh, for instance, later on in the book where uh, Adam Gordon, who's this like he's grown from a a, a, a punkish uh, master debater from uh, in Topeka who loves doing freestyle raps at keg parties into like a park slope dad, you know, with a you know, who's written three novels and is very frank and urbane and he gets to this um playground scene where someone's kid is uh yelling at his daughter and uh the dad is sitting there Wall Street guy not doing anything about it. And so Adam like Adam wants to go over to this guy and in fact does go, you know, in you know his choices are ask him nicely the guy refuses and then so after that it's like do you fight the guy whose kid is yelling at your daughter who is and and, and like and 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 threatening her or like do you call the cops or like what and so the way that you know um uh, gender expectations um uh, inform that decision is is fascinating and, and goes throughout the book yeah all right let's turn away from man babies Natalie Graham, hello. Hi, Eli. You've been here this whole time. I've just been lying in wait. Uh, to pounce with a recommendation that is not written by a man or about a man baby. You know, but it feels like this is a great transition because it's like this book is uh, what would happen if the man babies took over, kind of. <laughs> uh, but the sequel. So it, this, what I read is called The Testaments, which is by Margaret Atwood. And it is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale by margaret atwood as well uh but i i also have not seen the hulu show the handmaid's tale so i don't know how this book informs that etc etc but atwood set up the totalian totalitarian society in what used to be the united states called gilead in the handmaid's tale and this is the testaments is kind of what happens after gilead has been around for over a decade and this is your calming recommendation for something to read if you're traveling to a conservative relative's Thanksgiving table? 
You know, I had just read it and uh, it feels apt for the time uh, as everybody has made these comparisons to The Handmaid's Tale with and this totalitarian fundamentalist regime that is now ruling the United States in the fictional book. Uh, and so you can draw those comparisons, I guess, to current day uh, America, maybe. I don't know. And if you uh, read The Handmaid's Tale, will you feel like this is on par with that? Yeah. So I can't really remember The Handmaid's Tale, I have to say. I read it like two years ago. And this book, you don't really need any um, groundwork of having read The Handmaid's Tale. This jumps in with completely different story, three storylines that follow uh, a girl that is growing up within Gilead. Uh, One of the 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 women that kind of orchestrated the 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 regime um she she also is a character in the the first novel and this this the sequel gives her more depth and uh her motivations and maybe she's a spy that's trying to take down take it down from the inside and then you get this third character who is a girl who is growing up in Canada outside of this regime and that i find is the most is the scariest part of the book because life is going on as as it does outside of this regime and uh people are are normal in Canada while women are kind of enslaved just across the border and so it follows these th- these three uh characters and somehow they all weave together so it's it's a it's a fun read i think it, it, maybe not so much in subject but it it keeps you uh turning the pages all right and uh we have talked on other episodes jasmine's been a big advocate of this that uh for some people getting into an even darker dystopian reality is like a relief from this reality yeah yeah because because it seems so absurd like this couldn't happen, right? Could it? But then there's that part part of you that that's a little bit like, oh, I could see that maybe being okay, but also more so putting you in the shoes. So there's there's this this flashback, I guess, to how the women were rounded up, I guess, uh, when the regime was starting, and uh, they're all like, oh, we're lawyers, we're judges, we we are actual people in society. You can't take us to a stadium and keep us hostage but they can because they have guns and so it you you're kind of forced to feel like how would i react in the situation and i don't think i would do very well (laughs) all right if this is sounding like heavy reading and the topeka school also is kind of heavy psychological reading you had a light like grab it at the airport store idea yeah, yeah. I, I love a like a kind of a pulpy Reese Witherspoon pick for uh the airport. I love the uh the Hudson News. So I'll go in there on my if I've if I'm worried about how many books I have for a trip or something. And recently I grabbed this book, which is actually a Reese Witherspoon pick, uh called Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. And it's kind of this set in the 1990s in suburban Ohio and it follows just this drama between this wealthy family and this kind of poor family and the teens that are that are within these families but then there's an adoption battle and there's race issues and I found it really fun but they they really like slap you in the face with the themes like it's not it's not a real thinker Mm -hmm. not subtle 
Yeah, but but Reese loved it. <laughs> <laughs> but but what do you guys do? You guys read on airplane on airplanes? Do you do you frequent the Hudson News, or is that just me? I have trouble reading anything heavy on an airplane. I'm more of like listen to a podcast or music or try to sleep, but I can't really sleep on a plane. Yeah, I'm I I'm inconsistent. Uh, sometimes I, like my feeling when I'm at the airport is like very cosmopolitan and present minded, and so like the last thing I want to do is get away from the world and abs- and absorb myself into a novel. So I end up just reading a lot of news in case somebody asks me a question. Um, <laughs> you want to stay present on the airplane? You want to like I do. be there? <laughs> yeah, I wanna... sip your ginger ale. And feel decadent. <laughs> That's right. It's the only time I get to have ginger rare. So I like I I like uh, queue up maybe eight or nine or ten um, uh, like just regular ass news stories and maybe a couple long reads um, from magazines to read while I'm there. So when I land and meet whoever I'm meeting, I'm like, oh, did you see this? Did you read this? And the blah, 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 blah. You were never out of sync with the world. You were you were just on the airplane. I like to project that fiction. You know yeah. that uh, that sometimes I don't sort of go into Ooh, the. See, I enjoy I enjoy the the liminal space that is yeah. the airplane. I love the purgatory of like, I have nowhere else to be but on this airplane. Mm. Uh, I have no responsibilities besides reading this book or maybe watching this trashy movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Give me a Michael Crichton book, a Dan Brown book. I want to read that on the airplane. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, my, but grad school broke my brain. I can't even like properly enjoy those books because <laughs> just because I'm like, God, this is like, you know, how many times is he going to mention the brand name of a gun? This consumerist trash. But, like, I, <laughs> but you know, obviously, you know, it's it, the plot moves. So. It's pulp. Yeah. yeah. No, it's. All right, well, I'm going to land this plane and say <laughs> goodbye great work, great work. and good luck well, to everyone. People were interested in that, Eli. That was fucking hot content. That was like five-star content. Good reviews Bring that to the dinner iTunes. table. Yeah. Good luck at your dinner tables, Rich. Thank you. Thanks, Eli. Natalie, thank you. Thank you, Eli. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Dan Savage, Rich Smith, Natalie Graham, or me, call the Blabberphone 206-302-2063 or dive on into our Blabbermouth podcast Facebook group. Thanks as always to Ahme Filet J. Alua for making the music we use on the show each week and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.